Madam Chairman. I know. <laughs> At this time, Gobach is called to order. There is a quorum. Roll call. Larry Bush. Kristen Chu. Here. Brian Larkin. Here. Brenda McNulty. Here. Jane Natoli. Here. Bart Pantoja. Pantoja. Pantola. Thank you. Lauren Post. Here. Alexander Tolleson. Tonneson. Here. Item two. Opportunity for the public to comment on any matters within the committee's jurisdiction that are not on the agenda. Seeing as there are no members of the public present, we'll go on to item three, which is the election of the chair. I would, may I speak? I would like to nominate uh, Kristen Chu as chair and Larry Bush as vice chair. I second that nomination. Alex as vice chair. I'm going to decline that nomination. <laughs> now is it down somewhere? <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Other than the first timers. <laughs> Do any of the first timers have an interest in being vice chair just to learn what it's about? Not at present. Okay, please be sure to speak into your mics. Thank you. Not at present. No, thank you. I'll learn from here. It, this um, election happens yearly, right? Yes, it's. Is this yes, this it's on. on? Ken Rue, uh, Deputy City Attorney. It's the uh, the election is traditionally held under our bylaws at the first meeting of the fiscal year, which is typically in July. In this case, Ms. McNulty will be stepping down as chair, so we're having an election for the chair position. Bylaws also call for us to elect a vice chair, but by by this committee's actions, it can waive the requirements of the bylaws, and that's what we're doing now. And I should also note that no members of the public are here, so as of right now, we don't need to take any public comment after um, discussion by the committee members. So uh, there is there, would you like to vote? Hand vote, preferable vote? I have a question. Since I don't know the candidates, I was going to abstain, but I don't want to hurt whatever quorum is required for the vote. I don't want to stop the business of electing officers. This comes up quite a bit. There are, so we have five, we need five affirmative votes to be chair or vice chair. So we need five of them. And in terms of an abstention, our, our advice to committee members is even if it's your first meeting, if you feel comfortable, you can rely on the opinions of your colleagues and vote because they've known these people and they're willing to vote for them. That's entirely your call, however. Thank you. You're welcome. And um, so based on uh, what Ken just said, we'll have elections again uh, in the beginning of the fiscal year, so in July. <laughs> or uh, uh, we've got two meetings between then and now. So, um, so there's, there's gonna be another opportunity to have this. Or small correction. Um, the committee has the right to defer election of a vice chair today until the next meeting because many of you are new. We have a chair today. You can either choose to elect a vice chair at the next meeting in March or just wait until the new fiscal year in July. That is your option. And um, the other thing uh, to be aware of is uh, uh, Larry Bush terms out 
um, in July of this year, June. June 30th. And you're terming out too, right? I think I am termed out. <laughs> okay. I don't you. know what I'm doing. Thank you for coming. <laughs> Actually, point of correction, yeah. myself. I need to correct myself. Okay. Ms. Lane just made a good point. I'm looking at the agenda. Agenda item number three says election of chair. It does not say election of oh. officer. <laughs> so thank you, Ms. Lane, for that correction. <laughs> so we can only vote on the chair today. We can vote on the vice chair at the next meeting if this committee so determines. <laughs> We're just going to vote on the chair then. Well, I think that the motion needs to be modified then just to, for nominating Kristen Chu as chair. Is there a second? Um, I'll second the oh. uh, amended um, nomination. Opposed, kid. Yeah. <laughs> the glory. Yes. Now you'll need to vote, please. So do you all agree? Are there any abstentions? So do we all agree on the nomination to elect uh, Kristen Chu as chair? Aye. 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 Okay. So motion Aye. is approved. Item four, approval with possible modification of the minutes of the November 19th, 2018 meeting. I move to approve. Second. And again, I should note for the record that I believe there are no members of the public here, so no need to take public comment at this time before you vote. Oh. Oh. So the committee has approved the minutes? Yes. Item five, presentation from Public Works regarding the 2016 health bond and possible action by the committee in response to e such presentation. Good morning, Madam Chair, members of the CEGOBOT Committee. Uh, my name is Joe Chin, uh, Public Works Program Manager for the Public Health and Safety Bond Program. I'm also joined uh, today uh, with members of other mem various members of the Public Works Project Management Team, uh, and also I see uh, Chief Rivera from the Fire Department in support of the uh, bond program, and also um, to help address any questions that I may not be able to address in my presentation. Uh, with that said, uh, just a quick update. Uh, my last formal presentation to see GoBach was uh, August of 2018. Uh, we've a team has been submitting uh, quarterly uh, reports to Siegelbach. Our last submittal was November of 2018, and as part of this presentation, we also submitted a January uh, quarterly report uh, for the Public Health and Safety Bond Program. Okay. So, with that said, um, let me just move on to slide number two. Uh, for some of the newer members, I can kind of give a, a quick uh, overview of the bond program. This is uh, the Public Health and Safety Bond Program passed in June of 2016. Uh, it uh, provides uh, funding for th uh, three client departments uh, spread across six components. Um, the three client departments include the Department of Public Health, 
the San Francisco Fire Department, as well as the Department of Homelessness and Support Housing. Um, of the um, of the 350 million, uh, which was uh, what was approved for this bond program, uh, 272 million is allocated to the Department of Public Health uh, for two components: the Zuckerberg Building Five uh, building, as well as for the community health centers. Uh, for the fire department, uh, was allocated 58 million uh, with um, two projects or two components. Uh, first component is the ambulance deployment facility. And then the second is the neighborhood fire station component. And then the third uh, is the uh, uh, Department of Homelessness and Support Housing. Uh, 20 million was allocated uh, for homeless service sites um, that were identified. Okay. So, um, and just a quick recap uh, for this bond program, we've completed two bond sales to date. Uh, the first bond sale provided funding for all six components. Uh, bond sale number two, which was completed uh, sometime last year, uh, was for um, two components. Uh, it was for an ambulance deployment facility, as well as for the homeless service sites. So those two components are fully funded from the bond at this point. Okay. So then uh, moving on to slide three. Uh, this is uh, just an executive summary uh, over the entire bond program. So the the team in general has been uh, uh, advancing all projects across all components, uh, moving from programming to design in, into construction. So at this point, let me just kind of give a, a highlights of some of the accomplishments that the past uh, few months. Uh, on the Zuckerberg Building 5 component, uh, we currently have four projects in construction. And of the, um, so under the Zuckerberg Building 5, there's 19 core projects we've been tracking. So of the 19, we have uh, 50 projects are active. Um, and when I mean active, we're working on various uh, phases of the project life cycle, either in programming, design, construction, or closeout. So of the uh, 15, or of the 15 active projects, we have five, uh, four in construction, and there's 11 that's currently active uh, in one of those uh, phases I mentioned earlier. And then on the community health center, um, on the Maxine Hall Health Center, we. Uh, are actually, um, we went to bid in December of 2018, and we received five bids, and we're currently in the bidding and award phase, uh, which will then allow us to start construction by summer of 2019. Uh, on the, uh, similarly, on the ambulance deployment facility, uh, we also have awarded a construction contract to uh, SJ Amoroso uh, that was um, uh, awarded in um, the latter half of 2018, and NTP has also been issued, or knows to proceed, has also been issued for that project. And then on the homeless service site, uh, we have 440 Turk Street, uh, which is uh, currently in construction uh, with a target completion date of summer of 2019 as well. And then the next slide, I'll be focused uh, more drilling down on each of the, uh, providing an update on each of the components. So the first up is Zuckerberg Building 5 component. Um, just want to mention that on, on this component, um, I think one of the first projects that we worked on um, that was completed is the urgent care clinic. I'm happy to report that uh, this project uh, has been uh, licensed and we are uh, actually have a um, opening ceremony that's been scheduled for for, uh, for February 12th, which is coming up fairly quickly, and uh, we'll be start seeing patients uh, soon after that. 
Um, other than that, we also have I mentioned two, uh, at least two other projects in construction, two larger projects in construction uh, is the 6H search space and the re rehabilitation department relocation project. Uh, so 6H search space, uh, there has, we have encountered some uh, 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 schedule extension. Uh, they're primarily driven by uh, unforeseen conditions and OSHPOD um, code requirements and uh, also some added scope. Uh, but we are targeting to finish that project uh, by second quarter of 2019. Um, and on the slide, just kind of point you to the kind of the lower right-hand corner. Uh, there are some kind of some recent construction photos just to kind of highlight what's what kind of what we're doing. 6H surge space, uh, it's in the uh, process of finishing up the drywall. So that's a kind of a, a sign that, you know, things are being buttoned up and being closed out, um, which is aligned with our, our substantial completion date. Uh, rehab, rehabilitation department project is... Uh, just starting the, uh, in certain areas, we're starting the hazmat, hazardous material abatement. Uh, so you can, uh, that's the, essentially the, you know, um, um, one of the major tasks at the beginning of a project to remove all the hazardous material. Um, a third project I want to just quickly mention is the seismic upgrade uh, phase one. Uh, phase one is what we called a, uh, a subset of the larger seismic upgrade project. We've isolated about 20 to 30 locations, which are currently vacated in building five, which used to be the old hospital at Zuckerberg campus. And we're uh, going in and uh, proceeding with uh, the uh, seismic scope, which includes saw cutting, concrete elements, building uh, beams and columns, or separating beams from columns. We're also doing uh, some uh, column strengthening through a polymer-based fiber wrap to strengthen columns, and also uh, to uh, do some uh, uh, enlargement of columns as well. Uh, so that's what we call phase one of that project. Uh, one other thing I want to mention on the Building 5 component is uh, we also recently uh, advertised a request for qualification in RFQ. Uh, to hire a general contractor, a, a, a construction manager slash general contractor, what we call uh, CMGC, uh, is a delivery method that allows us to bring on a contractor that can partner with public works and public health and be able to uh, better uh, uh, work out the phasing and some of the uh, um, details needed to uh, deliver the project. Uh, so for this RFQ, uh, we're intending to uh, bundle eight projects, so eight of the kind of 19 core projects will be included under this larger uh, contract. So that's moving along. We, we've uh, had our orientation meeting recently, and we're expecting RFQ uh, submittals by um, February 8th, which is uh, next week. Okay, and then moving on to the uh, Southeast um, component. Uh, this is a uh, component for public health. We are building a new health center uh, for DPH. This is located in the Bayview area. It's a 22,000 square feet, two-story uh, new health center. Um, so we are currently uh, in the design phase for this project. Uh, we are uh, intending to complete the design uh, by, by summer of uh, 2019, and then moving on to construction uh, before the end of the year. 
Uh, kind of other highlights I want to mention is uh, we also did uh, receive civic design review approval for phase two um, toward the latter half of 2018. Uh, we've also have uh, recently selected two artists uh, that will be contributing to the public arts program for this building as well. Okay. Oh, sorry, forgot to advance the slide. So this is the uh, slide for Southeast Health Center, sorry. Um, and then moving on to uh, the other community health centers, uh, this is really focused on two clinics uh, uh, that's under the DPH network. It's Maxine Hall Health Center as well as Castro Mission Health Center. Uh, Maxine Hall, as mentioned earlier, uh, we've completed the design. We have uh, DBI permit approval. Uh, we've war we are currently in the award phase for this project, and we're hoping to uh, start construction by summer of 2019. Um, I think I mentioned before, one of the risk factors for this project is uh, the need to relocate the clinic uh, during construction. So, you know, after various rounds of, of discussion with uh, Department of Public Health and the community and, and the uh, district supervisor, I think we've identified a location for the clinic. So at this point, we are working toward uh, the procurement of the uh, trailers and to get that installed. Um, uh, so they're... they're uh, so the start of construction for the Maxine Hall building project de depends on the, the temporary clinic being set up. And then uh, just quickly on Castro Mission, uh, that project is currently in design, and we're also uh, intending to uh, finish design uh, by second quarter of 2019, and also starting uh, construction by, by the, late, the latter half of the, summer, the late summer of 2019 as well. So... So kind of in summary, you can kind of look at uh, both Southeast Health Center and Maxine Hall and Castro will pretty much have all three clinics in construction by the end of 2019, which is an a, a important milestone for our project team. <clears throat> and then uh, moving on to uh, the ambulance deployment facility component. Um, I, I mentioned earlier the, um, the contract construction contract has been uh, awarded uh, to S.J. Amoroso. Uh, NTP was uh, issued in uh, October of uh, 2018 as well. Um, the construction was also anticipated to start in January. I'm, I'm happy to report that uh, one of the first tasks on the construction side uh, is the uh, pallet driving program, so that got started last week. Uh, so that's a kind of an official kickoff of construction activities for the ADF project. Uh, and then for, for those that aren't familiar with the ambulance deployment facility, uh, this is a brand new facility uh, for the emergency medical services. So it's, uh, uh, I'll, I don't know all the details, but you know, Kathleen is here, they can explain a little bit more better if needed. But this is gonna be a, essentially a restocking facility for all the ambulances. It's not really meant for ambulance to to be deployed from this facility, but it's a place where all the ambulances can come back and restock all their supplies and then get deployed uh, from their dynamic location throughout the city. Okay, and then moving on to the uh, neighborhood fire station component. Uh, this component is focused on two main scopes. Uh, the one is the seismic host tower removal project at six locations. Uh, the six fire stations are the six fire stations that are being addressed under the host tower project includes uh, station six, station 11, 12, 15, 21, and 38. And then the second scope is the generator replacement project at fire station 18. 
Uh, I know there's other locations, uh, fire station locations that uh, may be that may have a potential um, if there's funding available for additional general replacement projects. But for now, uh, we know for sure uh, station 18 is included as the generator replacement scope. Uh, other than that, um, seismic host tower project schedule at this point is primarily driven or has, has always been driven by the entitlement process. Uh, so we've got recent clarification from planning department. So we're moving toward a, a interpretive approach which then allows us to uh, kind of get past the entitlement process and get to a category exemption, which will then allow the project to start construction. So at this point, uh, design is in progress with uh, design to be completed by uh, end of the year with construction to start, um, with design to be, I'm sorry, design to be completed by the end of the year and then with construction to start in the early part of 2020. Uh, and then for the generator project, we're a little bit, uh, a little bit ahead because uh, there is no uh, entitlement process there. Uh, so we're really focused on finishing design and that should be complete by March, uh, about March of 2019. And then that also allowed construction to start by the end of the year as well. And then uh, now just moving on to the last component of this uh, program. This is for the homeless service sites. Uh, there's three projects or scopes that we're focused on. First is 440 Turk Street. Uh, 440 Turk Street is the, um, is, it's, a, uh, it's going to be the uh, administrative office as well as that client access point for the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing. So it's a, it's, we're using a design-build method to deliver this project. Uh, construction uh, demolition has completed as of November. We're currently working uh, on a building permit. And then, so once we get the building permit, that'll allow us to proceed into the interior renovation. So we're currently anticipating that to be uh, uh, February, which is next month, uh, well, yeah, next, still next month of, of 2019. Uh, and then construction completion date for 440 Turk Street is uh, summer of 2019 as, as well. And then the other, uh, other uh, project that we have tracking under the homeless service sites is the, um, uh, the, what we call the client uh, city-owned shelter. So the three locations that have been identified as part of this project scope, uh, it's uh, 1001 Polk Street, 260 Golden Gate, and 525 Fifth Street. Those are city-owned facilities, and what the bond will pay for is building improvement, deferred maintenance, and building improvements that's been identified. Uh, so once we uh, uh, have a finalized scope of work, uh, so uh, that will then allow the design to proceed. So currently we're anticipating design start or kickoff uh, by the first quarter of 2019 for the uh, shelters, the uh, city-owned shelters. <coughs> and then the, the last uh, project I'm going to go through is 1064-68 Mission. Uh, this is kind of a, a, a multi-agency uh, project, which includes the Mayor's Office of Housing Community Development, as well as DPH, Department of Public Health, and uh, Home, Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing. So the uh, Supportive Housing, HSH piece, that is uh, funded by the bond program, is uh, creating a uh, centralized deployment uh, office as well as a client access point for the San Francisco Homeless Outreach Team, the HOT team. <clears throat> so that's currently also in design uh, with construction to start um, like by uh, early part of uh, 2020. Um, so that's uh, quickly just going through all the six components. 
And then uh, the last slide I have uh, for this, this morning is the uh, just kind of a, what I call the overall expenditure for the bond program. Uh, expenditure in general has been low, uh, but uh, obviously for these project, capital projects is always driven by construction. So you can kind of focus on ambulance de deployment facility. Uh, under the uh, encumbrance column, you can see, you know, there's the total bond budget is 40, I think it's 48 plus million. And currently we've encumbered 30 million and that's all driven by the construction. A lot of this is uh, majority of that 30 million is allocated to the construction of that project. Likewise, I also anticipate uh, the Maxine Hall Health Center under the community health center component to also have an up uptick of, of expenditure as we award the construction contract for Maxine. And that'll be the same for other clinics as well. Uh, so at, at this point that uh, ends my formal presentation to Siegelbach. Uh, myself and my team are available and the client's available to answer any questions that you may have. Thank you. Um, I, one of the ways that we organize ourselves at GOBAC is uh, we assign individuals on this group to different bonds. This one happens to be the bond that, that I'm assigned to. Um, so I work with Joe um, and meet with Joe before, prior to these meetings to go over the status um, of what's going on. Um, and after um, his presentation, I let you know about my findings. Um, and for the new members, uh, what I'm looking for <clears throat> specifically um, in, in the governance of this bond is two things. One is, is this bond being managed in a, in a financially responsible way? Um, and the second one is, is the bond meeting the expectation of the voters? Um, so I'm gonna talk a little bit about both of those just to give you an idea about how, what, what are the things that I use to, to, to determine those things. Regarding um, is the bond being managed in a financially responsible way, our, um, really when it comes to the go box side of, of our, uh, the job that we do, um, the only essentially stick that we have is the ability to stop a bond from issuing um, bonds. Um, the issuance of bonds happens well before uh, the projects are really well underway. Um, and, uh, and so it's important to know early on whether, whether the bond is, is, is heading in a fiscally responsible way. Uh, and so what I use to do to make that decision is, um, or, or to inform that, is uh, the audits that are done. So the city services auditor, and this will, well, later in the agenda we're gonna talk, um, they'll, they'll talk quite a bit about the work that they do. Um, but uh, later on, there's um, an up mid-year update from the audits and projects group of the city services auditor. And the very last slide talks about the planned um, 2016 public health and safety um, audit. And so that, that is a financial audit. And so that, that, would, um, that is to determine whether bond revenues are expended in accordance with the ballot measure and no funds are used for administrative and salary operations experience. And so this is, this is a way for us to have some confidence that it, because I, I'm not an expert in in the numbers at this level, um, <clears throat> and then that, that's their job. Uh, so this is scheduled for this, so what I, what I noticed is this is scheduled for this fiscal year, but also in the back of our packet, there's um, a memo from the uh, Controller's Pu Office of Public Finance about our upcoming issuance. So, so I'm wondering, wow, I'd like to see that audit before they issue the bonds so that we know that whether that's, that's a good thing or not. Um, I also, uh, doing a little math, um, I know that we've issued two bonds for the, for the public health already that add up to about $225 million. Um, this next issuance is the last issuance of the 350 total. 
And so for me, that's, oh, okay, well, this is it, right? This is, this is, this is an important issuance for, for us from a governance body perspective. Um, having said that, I don't have any concerns, and so I'm not, not necessarily trying to bring this up, but I'm trying to explain what, our, what is in our purview. Um, the other thing uh, that uh, is the bond meeting the expectations of the voters, uh, and I, I really do mean that when we go to the ballot and we vote for these bonds, what, 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 have, what information have we used to make that decision as a voter? Like, what do, what do I think is going to happen? Is, 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 I gonna, is my um, homeless shelter going to get upgraded? Or do I have that expectation? Have they been really clear? Um, uh, I find this um, bond in particular extremely difficult to govern, and I've, I've said this every time Joe's gotten here. So, um, And I, I think that the way that it was written and presented to the voters was, was really, frankly, unfair to us as voters. It's, it's um, I, I mean, I, as you just heard, it's six different programs, and within those programs it's many, many projects, little projects, big projects, all kinds of stuff. And I, I, I think that um, I don't know how the voter could have gone and know what they were going to get from this one. Um, it's also uh, some of the, because they're so little and they're so, you know, they, they weren't completely understood when we, when we, when we, um, when we voted for them. Um, there's, ex there's decisions being made at the client level um, about what to do. Should we do this one or that one? Um, again, I think that that's not fair to the voters, and that's certainly not something Joe or, or, the, or um, the fire department or um, the mayor's office of housing or um, uh, Department of Public Health um, can really change. Um, it's just something that I find very difficult to do. Um, uh, the other thing I want to point out is that um, uh, Joe works for the Department of Public Works, and he's, he's essentially an Uber project manager it's on behalf... Driver. Pardon me? I thought you were going to say driver. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, sorry. Yes. So, but, but he's, he's working on behalf of these client departments. And so one of the ways that I think um, for me is uh, the question of are, do the client departments feel like they're getting the services that, that they expected? And I do want uh, Chief Rivera, if, since you're here, um, to, to comment on that, um, if you could, for us. Um, but, be, but beyond that, I think it's very hard to go back to the, to the voters, and particularly on this one, and say, we, um, uh, I guess a, a while ago we closed up the SF General um, rebuild. That was pretty clear, what they were doing, what, what it was going to happen, and, it got, and, and Joe actually managed that too, so, and, he, and it was um, very well managed um, and uh, delivered, I think, on budget and on time. Um, pretty, pretty, pretty impressive um, project. Um, So those are my comments. Do you guys have any questions about what, what we're? No. But you know, Kristen, at, at our last meeting, I said I would do some follow-up on the 2008 um, SF General Hospital mm -hmm. bond, and I did that um, as I discussed with Joe just before the meeting. Um, the, there had been potential claims from the general contractor WebCore on that job. The city was hoping to resolve them short of trial. They have not yet. As a matter of fact, the trial is scheduled to start today. It may yet, they may yet come to a resolution, but as of today, they're going to trial. They've gone nuclear. So I checked in with the city, the attorney from the city attorney's office who is representing the city in this case, and her name is Elaine O'Neill. And she gave me a brief description of what the 
current claim is about. It's really a pass-through of a subcontractor claim through WebCorp to the city. The city had moved for um, summary judgment, dismissing it, um, failed that the judge would not award that, that summary judgment, so the trial has started. There is yet the possibility that the claim will settle, short of continuing with the trial. That is to be seen. Do I have that about right, Joe? No, you're right, uh, Brian. Okay. You're all up to date. I will continue to stay in touch with Elaine O'Neill, and if there are <clears throat> any updates on it, I will report them at next meeting or subsequent meetings there, too. Okay. So now I want to ask um, Chief Rivera and any of the other client departments that are here, um, specifically, uh, do you feel that the, that the program is meeting your expectations and um, what you believe the expectations of the voters were? Good morning, everyone. Um, my name is Assistant Deputy Chief Tony Rivera with the San Francisco Fire Department. Um, I would just like to say that uh, to answer your question, yes, it is um, uh, DPW and uh, this bond measure, this project is going to meet the needs. I'll give you just a quick overview of uh, what the ADF is and how it's going to be implemented. So um, in 1997, San Francisco Fire Department actually merged or took over the ambulance uh, portion of uh, DPH, and we brought them under our wing. We cross-trained our uh, paramedics as firefighters. Uh, what we found was um, DPH was deploying the ambulances, parking them all over the city. There was no like centralized location. We went through different uh, versions. We tried to look at other fire departments. We put the paramedics in the firehouses. We tried the same um, program that uh, DPH had. We finally came up with a solution was to have a centralized location. So we used a San Francisco Fire Department um, logistics warehouse. And we basically crammed all of our, fire, our paramedics and uh, ambulances and all the medicine and equipment that they need, the gurneys, uh, into that space. It is absolutely overgrown. Um, we responded to over 140,000 calls last year. So what happens is, um, because not only is the facility overgrown, it just doesn't have the uh, 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 infrastructure to support all of the uh, satellite phones or um, uh, any of the uh, IT needed for a state-of-the-art fire facility. Uh, DPW has been working with us. We were able to use a empty parking lot behind Fire Station 9, which the fire department does own, and we're going to be able to uh, convert that into our new state-of-the-art. And I, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I believe this is going to be the first, uh, at least on the West Coast, if not in uh, the United States, a uh, ambulance EMS faci facility. It's not going to, it's going to be fire department, but it's going to be our EMS division. Um, and I just uh, like to say it's also going to have training for our EMS uh, firefighters, which is actually a little bit different than regular uh, firefighters for fire suppression. We're going to have uh, the ability now to store more um, equipment and supplies. Right now, if you went to our current facility, we basically jam all of our supplies into every nook and cranny we have available, which is extremely inefficient, which lowers our ability to uh, turn our ambulances around and uh, restock them in time. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
So I really feel that um, this new facility not only is going to be beneficial for SFFD, but as a citizen of this city myself, it's going to be beneficial for the citizens. And as uh, Joe mentioned, uh, the name is a little bit misleading because it's it says it's an ambulance deployment facility. We're still going to dynamically deploy our ambulances, but this is going to be the hub. We're going to have fuel. We're going to have gasoline, diesel, um, as I said, communication center. If, for example, um, uh, something were to happen to headquarters, this could also be a, a new essential facility that will have that capacity to um, also work as a command center for the city of San Francisco. We are absolutely excited um, in the fire department to have this. I know the members are extremely elated. We currently park ambulances back to back, which means that if I'm assigned an ambulance, I have to go find the person who has the ambulance parked in front of me, have them move it so I can move it out. This is going to have an absolutely different layout. And uh, I, I would just say we're, we're really excited and we really feel that um, DPH is listening to our needs and representing us properly. Great. Thank you. That's the short answer. <laughs> <laughs> Are there any other client departments? Uh, good morning. I'm Kathy Jung. I'm the Director of Facilities and Capital Planning for the Department of Public Health. And I can speak to the $50 million that is going to our primary care clinics. And I want to uh, thank Joe publicly for all the extraordinary effort that he has gone uh, into putting into making these projects successful. I think you all know about the projects, but Southeast Health Center will be a brand new clinic. It will certainly be a real jewel in the Bayview for us to have a new 20,000-square-foot clinic that will integrate primary care and uh, behavioral health services in a brand-new building that will also allow us to uh, deliver services in a way that reflects best practices. The other clinics that have all been built, and actually Southeast Health Center was actually built as a private clinic for one of our community health centers. Um, that was a community-based clinic, which we took over back in the 80s. Um, and Maxine Hall and Castro Mission were both built, I think, in the 60s and have been not updated to reflect how we deliver care. So we're moving to, again, integration of primary care with behavioral health um, in a very collaborative-based model. And each of these renovations will really help us deliver care in a much better way for our patients. And I think we've been working very closely and very successfully with both public works as well as our community partners as well as the end users in the, in the clinics and I think it's going well. Thank you. Good morning, members of the committee. My name is Gigi Whitley. I'm the Deputy Director of Administration and Finance for the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing. And uh, in terms of the bond program, I think we are very much meeting the voters' expectations. As you'll recall, uh, about $20 million for the department and its services was put into the bond um, about the time the new department was created in August 2016. And um, since then, we have um, five projects either underway, going into construction, or through the planning stages. And it really has covered all elements of the bond. 
we have been able to use the bond funds to leverage state and other federal resources for our access point at 440 Turk, which as you may recall was originally going to be a 24-7 access point for clients. Um, that plan, although rejected by the Board of Supervisors, will also help us meet our internal um, headquarters needs. So it will be the front door to our new department, as well as an access point for adults who need referrals to housing and emergency services that are experiencing homelessness. Um, we've also been able to use the bond funds for an incredible collaboration with the Mayor's Office of Housing, Department of Public Health, um, for a 1064-68 mission, which we were able to um, procure for a dollar um, to serve um, homeless, um, formerly homeless clients, both upstairs and permanent supportive housing, and then on the ground floor with a DPH clinic, as well as a dispatch for our SF Hot team and another client access point. And then finally, um, uh, about six million, seven million of the bond is going to go to tackle those immediate emergency repairs for our adult and family um, emergency shelters. Um, there's been a, a number of significant deferred maintenance over the years, and I'm most um, pleased with Public Works and uh, their ability to really help us define what all the work is going to cost and be and help us um, start planning for a real master planning effort around those uh, critical infrastructure needs. So it's been a very positive collaboration with um, Public Works. I'm very pleased of the progress our new department has made in such a short period. Thank you. Thank you so much. Does any other members have any questions? I do. Please. Bart Pantaha, uh, that's me. So my question is, I think is for Joe. So I was in the beginning on your slide number three, number four in your risk issues or concerns on budget scope or schedule. <clears throat> Could you go into a little bit of uh, detail on the uh, ongoing challenging and bidding environment, kind of what those challenges are as you see them? Um, the higher construction costs? Sure. Um, thank you for the question. That's a, that's a great question that um, all the couple of projects are facing the same issues. Um, I, think I mentioned earlier that for Maxine Hall, uh, that's our last project that we went out to bid. I was very happy to hear that we got five bids. Uh, and of the five bids, two of the bids uh, were below the injury's estimate. So it's, it's not a, um, it's not a uh, absolute uh, assurance that things are the market is getting better, but it may be a good sign that the construction industry is slowing down. But for us as a project, uh, we we've been carrying, we are still going to continue to carry a uh, a market condition factor in our in our estimates, so so that we really don't understand completely. You know, things may change. Hopefully, the next year that will kind of uh, slow down the construction industry. Uh, a lot of it is driven by lack of resources in the construction. So there's just so much construction going on that there's, there, there just isn't enough skilled labor to go to all the projects, which then means contractors are becoming more selective. They pick certain projects that are easier to deliver and get paid and, and maybe not deal with a, a, a you know, public, public uh, sector projects. Uh, but you know, this project is kind of the first taste of, of maybe things are getting better. Thank you. I have two questions for Assistant Chief Rivera and then a couple of questions for Joe. Um, what is a hose tower? 
Great question. <laughs> Assistant Deputy Chief Tony Rivera. So a lot of our fire stations are actually um, 50 to 100 years old, and uh, they have the older technology, which is, um, and believe it or not, when I came in, I've been in for 28 years, we use cotton jacketed hose, which means after every fire, you have to wash and scrub each piece of hose. And because of mildew problems, we would hang the hoses in these hose towers. Some of our hoses are up to 100 feet long, so our hose towers are significantly uh, tall. And um, now with synthetic hose, which has anti-mildew uh, properties, we no longer need these hose towers. Hose towers have been considered uh, seismic, uh, potential seismic issues, and uh, we've been working with DPW to um, designate which stations are uh, most in need of having these hose towers removed and uh, capped off. Thank you. And then where is Fire Station 9 located where the uh, new deployment facility will be? Fire Station 9 is located at uh, 2235 Gerald Avenue, which is probably about a block away from the old San Francisco Produce Market. And the um, ambulance deployment facility will be in the rear portion. Um, one of the designs that we looked at, which uh, has actually helped out, is that we're going to have two entrances. There'll be an entrance on Gerald, also one on McKinnon for the actual uh, ambulance facility, which what that means is in case there was an issue on one with one of the gates or if there was a uh, tractor trailer blocking uh, making a delivery to one of the other uh, companies nearby, we would still have access to either uh, for egress or ingress. So it's it's right. It's I would say it's uh, very near the Cesar Chavez uh, traffic circle area. Got it. Thank you. And then um, I don't know this. Um, I don't know how ambulances are deployed around the city. Obviously, I don't live near there, and it would concern me if all the ambulances are down there. Can you explain how, how our ambulance is distributed through the city so that when you're not at the Presidio, you don't have to wait for one to come from Gerald Avenue? Absolutely. So what the San Francisco Fire Department has come up with is a dynamic deployment plan. What that means is we have certain areas of the city, um, let's say uh, Eureka Valley, uh, Marina, North Beach, Chinatown, where we will actually have a, an ambulance post up. We call it posting up. The ambulance is uh, staffed by the crew standing by for a call. Uh, for and what happens is as soon as that ambulance it responds to an incident, we have a backup that takes their place. Um, let's say we were having uh, the, the uh, Chinese New Year parade. We would then post up our ambulances more uh, closer, but still being able not only to respond to the, the uh, event, but also to other parts of the city. With that being said, we um, also have the uh, deployment facility where we have the, the remainder of our vehicles. So theoretically, if we had 30 ambulances on the street, we would still have another uh, 25 backup at this facility. Um, because of its location, we actually have the ability now to deploy and have our ambulances uh, jump on the freeway, if you will, get out to the west side a lot faster, um, or use surface streets if necessary. So we think it's a really good location. And um, also because it's gonna be um, a little bit taller than a lot of the uh, uh, factories or uh, warehouses in the area, it's gonna give us great communication for uh, because of Bernal Heights and other uh, uh, possible uh, areas that might uh, slow us down. So I, I think it's just a great location. And as I said, it, it's 
financially responsible. We're using land that we already had, and um, it, it's we're really excited about it. Thank you. Okay. And Joe, I had a few questions for you. It, it's actually one basic. Perhaps as just some of us are coming up to speed, if you and, and perhaps Kristen, all city departments in the future when they make presentations, whether it's parks or, or education, if you could tell the locations of each project, the neighborhood and maybe the cross streets. I don't know where the Maxine Hall Center is, for example. I know where the Castro and the Mission neighborhoods are, but I don't know where the Castro Mission Center, things like that, other than specific street addresses, which some of the homeless shelters have. I can picture where those are, but it would just be helpful to give us some context on where the projects are throughout the large city. Sure. We Thank can, you. We can definitely do that. Could you do it right now for the projects uh, you yeah. went up this morning? So, uh, yeah, so I can uh, I'll try my best from memory. Uh, Maxine Hall Health Center is located uh, in Supervisor Brown's district. Uh, so it's 13, I think it's oh, uh, 1305 Pierce Street. So it's off of Pierce and Ellis, right across from a uh, um, Kimball playground. So that's Maxine. Castro Mission is off of 17th Street. I uh, can't get exactly the address. It's next to Pond and 17th Street is in the Castro District. In the Castro, okay. Correct. And then southeast is uh, off of um, Key Street, uh, which is about a block from uh, Martin Luther King Pool or 3rd Street uh, Corridor. Uh, it's uh, in the Bayview District. Great. Okay. And then uh, all the Zuckerberg Building 5 right. projects, is right. 1001 yeah. Patrol yeah. Avenue. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Great. Any other comments or questions? Any uh, public comment? Thank you, Joe. Sorry. Thank you. Great. Well, Item six, presentation from the city services auditor regarding the CSA mid-year report and possible action by the committee in response to such presentation. Good morning, everyone. My name's Peg Stevenson. I'm a deputy director in the controller's office, and I am the director of the performance section of the city services auditor unit. This is my counterpart, Tanya Ledeju, who's the director of the audits uh, section of the city services auditor, and we'll be speaking jointly about our functions today and happy to answer any questions you have. Um, we'll give you some background on our function, especially for the new members, and then a mid-year update on our activities, um, now being halfway through the fiscal year. Um, and then there's a couple of things that we do specifically that are um, sort of in service to the GOBOC that I'm um, sure you'll want to hear about, so we'll touch on those. Um, so uh, we are a creature of Charter Appendix F, which was passed in 2003, um, if you've been here long enough to remember that. It took um, the city's internal audit function together with our performance program and several other mandates and wrapped them up into one charter section, which is about the city's uh, performance analysis. It's reporting those things to the public, transparency, um, growing, expanding, and specifying the internal audit function. Um, so there's a number of specific charter mandates that our program is responsive to, which we'll touch on. Um, there's a specific mandate to measure and report on the city's um, uh, streets, parks, and standard uh, streets, parks, and sidewalks standards, and how well we're doing in performing to those. 
There's a specific mandate um, for a whistleblower program, a specific mandate for reporting on the city's management and employment practices and how well they serve um, public services, and then some broad general mandates, again, about transparency, reporting to the public, um, and working to keep our performance reporting um, at a very high level, as is the expectation of local governments now. Um, there's two units, um, my part, which I mentioned, which is performance and technical analysis, and then Tanya's part, which is the internal audit section. Um, we've just listed here on this slide um, our kind of basic mandates. Um, the performance measurement side for our part, if you spend some time exploring our website, you'll see a long chronological list of reports. Um, but probably the uh, more interesting and dynamic content is a performance uh, website, which has uh, the, the main public feature is something called performance scorecards, which is about 80 measures, um, critical ones for all city services that try and give members of the public, non-experts, lay people, stakeholders and decision makers, an idea of the city's most critical performance, um, how well we're doing in terms of uh, homeless services, ambulance response time, um, what else? Uh, how long it takes you to get an appointment at a public health clinic, uh, street standards, the things that we think would be of interest to uh, most citizens. And the views there are dynamic. Uh, you can change the time periods, uh, and some there's geocoding, so you can see different geographic. We try and make them visual and interesting, and um, we're increasingly adding data just to make them more visually accessible to the public. So. If you look at nothing else on our website, please go take a look at the performance scorecards. We're really proud of that product, and we'd always be interested in any feedback you had on how to make them more user-friendly. I'll say a couple of things about our uh, functions as a whole. Um, the budget together for our two units is about $16.5 million for the annual budget, and then we also get a chunk of the money that comes through the bond programs. The math of it is two-tenths of 1% of the city budget by fund. So what that means in practice is that we look like the city. Our budget looks like the city budget. Our large clients are the city's large departments. We get a chunk of money from the health department, the Public Utilities Commission, and then we do work with and for them uh, to be responsive to that money. We bill them just like a, a consulting firm does. Money that's not spent at the end of the year is returned to the, uh, the fund that it came from, unless there's a special project that we want to carry it forward for in a future fiscal year. So um, that's basically how we work. We can also allocate our costs across um, those budgets so that we can do work that benefits the city as a whole, allocating our costs proportional to the uh, amount that that's, that's represented in the city budget. So the whistleblower program is run that way. The performance program is run that way. We can answer any other questions you might have about it, but just to give you an idea of kind of how we work. Uh, we have about 70 staff, about 35 or 38 auditors, and the rest performance analysis, and then some operations folks. We support GOBOC in a variety of ways. Uh, Tanya will talk about the construction audits. Uh, my group is, uh, does a, a performance report on the city's capital bond programs, general obligation bond programs which is partly responsive to your mandates as well to comment on the scope, schedule, and budget of all city bonds. And we try to issue it in coordination with your reporting. Uh, it's a little delayed this year because of the financial cleanup that had to get done in the new financial system, but it's intended to be complementary to the kind of reporting that goes on in your committee. And then we also do work um, at the end of the 
meeting will touch on a couple of other projects that we're working for you. We're doing right now a citizen survey on uh, uh, their feeling about a couple of bond projects so that you're getting some direct public feedback. And we have an ongoing dialogue with you and our liaison on your committee about the project work that we can do that would help your purposes under the charter. Um, our work planning process, so we take the big budget that I mentioned. Um, we look uh, well in advance of the start of the fiscal year on audits, the operating and compliance environment that each department lives in, grand jury reports, new mandates that they have. We go a couple of layers down in the organization and interview people. We talk to stakeholders. We look at citizen consultative uh, projects that they do. And we take all those things together, uh, also the city's leases, uh, any, any operating requirement that appears in the city's operating environment. And we develop a long list of audits and projects that are, we hope, risk-based, best fit to the performance needs of that department. We specify them as much as we can, estimate the cost and, and hours of them, put them in a schedule, do a balancing process so that we're not spending too much money in any one department, another balancing process so that we fit them to the hours we have available in our staff, and then we issue a work plan at the start of every fiscal year. We make a presentation on it here at this committee to get your feedback and comment. We use you as a part of our consultative process on making the work plan, and then during the year we report to you periodically on how we're doing. Um, so that's the kind of quick summary of our unit as a whole. I will touch on where we are at the mid-year, unless, Tanya, do you want to speak about the audit function right now? Um, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do the performance summary and then Tanya can come up. Um, the next slide, page five, is a list of our completed projects um, through to December 30th. Um, I won't go over them. The titles, I hope, are self-explanatory. You can see that we're doing, again, work with and for the city departments that are our clients under the budget. Uh, public health is a big client. The homeless and homelessness and supportive housing department is a big client, um, not just because of their critical mandate, but because they're still in sort of stand-up and formation process. Um, we, I'll just point to the third line down there and give you an example. Um, well, actually, I'll come back to that because I have a slide specifically on it. For, even for a project which is sort of inside baseball, as we would call it, that's very technical, we try to issue a public summary, just a one or two page summary that says what the work is so that we're reporting to the public and to you. Um, a couple of these are like that. The ZSFG care coordination al analysis project summary, for example, is a very technical project where we're talking with them about how um, they are evaluating the acuity level in general hospital and whether it's at professional standards. The content of the, pro the, the report is really only of interest to the people who manage the hospital, uh, but we do want the, Republic to know, the public to know that we're doing this kind of work, so we issue a project summary. Um, I'll just touch on three uh, major projects that are going on right now to give you a sense of the content of our work. This slide, linking homeless clients with benefits, uh, a request of the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing and the Department of Public Health together. We um, looked at a pilot program which placed a, a position called a benefits navigator in two shelter sites. And the idea that was to help the people who came into those shelter sites apply for Medi-Cal, CalFresh, or County Adult Assistance. Um, while you have people in a shelter site, you're trying to 
um, establish their legal identity, get them the documentation that they need to apply for public benefits, so that the kind of assistance that they are provided to the degree that they're eligible for any federal benefits and or county administered benefits, they get those benefits and become uh, less reliant on things like emergency ambulance services or overnight shelters. Uh, as long as you have, uh, as they call it, a warm handoff, day-to-day -day access to this person, you're not trying to schedule them for another future appointment that they might miss. We've had a higher success rate with this type of benefits navigator doing the warm handoff, being right there at the shelter site. They wanted to test exactly how well we did that, so we evaluated all the cases that came through using the benefits navigator. Um, we mapped their processes. We had performance metrics and dashboards and uh, interagency communication between the um, different types of benefits programs and we're able to sh demonstrate to everybody's satisfaction the real success that was achieved with this type of uh, position, and so they'll hope to use it in more shelter sites and more um, uh, homelessness sites going forward. Very typical project. Um, the next one, the District Attorney's Independent Investigations Bureau. This was a request to the Board of Supervisors where they wanted us to take a look at the uh, Investigations Bureau. This is the part of the district attorney's office that does an investigation whenever there's an officer-involved shooting and many other uses of force. And as you can imagine, very high level of public concern, community concern when an incident like this happens. We did a uh, analysis to show, uh, look at how their case processing was uh, being achieved, how well they managed their interview processes, how well they did their reporting to the public, the time to complete their investigations and uh, responded back to the Board of Supervisors, benchmarking them to other similar functions in other cities and uh, commenting on their staffing levels and their case closure rates so that the board could feel solid about releasing reserve funds that the board had held for that purpose. Finally, um, this is the uh, program on the front side that I was gonna point out to you. We have a program in my unit which is joint monitoring for nonprofit agencies. So the city spend, spends many hundreds of millions of dollars every year with community-based organizations. Many health and social services in particular are delivered that way. Uh, some of them have contracts with more than one city agency, and many years ago we observed that it would be more efficient to do the joint uh, fiscal and compliance monitoring together so that they're not getting visited by every one of six city agencies if they have six contracts. The program establishes the uh, common standards across the city for fiscal and compliance purposes. We schedule it together, staff go out together, review things like budgets, board minutes, tax filings, any other compliance documentation, um, report on it together. If there are findings, we enter into a corrective action plan together with the uh, CBO. We provide technical assistance for those that are having trouble meeting the mandates and then we issue one report on all those findings together. And again, very significant savings in efficiency and aggravation, we think, for all the agencies and the city departments. Um, so this slide just kind of shows you the summary performance of that program. Um, the next slide lists our major programs. Performance I've talked about, parks and street standards, um, I can touch on if you're interested. We have a lean program where we're um, doing a lot of training in lean, which is a type of process analysis and identifying waste and inefficiency that we're teaching in many city departments. Um, we have a data academy, which tries to upgrade the skills of analysts all over the city in basic uh, statistical software, Excel, visualization. 
um, the nonprofit program I mentioned. That is my, uh, oh, at last slide, again, just lists a couple of the major projects that are underway. Um, so I'll stop there and turn it over to Tanya, and either of us are, of course, available to answer questions after we're through. Good morning. My name is Tanya Ledeju, and I'm the Chief Audit Executive. Thank you for having us here today. So as you can see on our slide, we actually in the audits organization categorize our work into six different areas, construction audits, citywide compliance, performance audits, IT and system audits, whistleblower investigations, and we have a host of other activities that we support city departments or the city at large in. And as it relates to our construction-related um, audits, we, on behalf of this board, are working with Cummings Construction um, Management Company, who actually looks at the GEO um, bond funds that we spend and ensure that they're in accordance to the bond requirements. And currently, Cummings has completed six expenditure audits, and we have one that will be issued in the next couple of weeks on your behalf. We've also are doing two um, construction closeout audits, one of which we have completed and one that we are currently doing at the PUC. And then we have a large um, audit at MTA on their capital program delivery model. Also under our citywide compliance audit programs, basically those audits are really to ensure that we have appropriate city internal controls throughout our city on areas such as our financial related areas, cash, inventory, different eligibility programs, payroll, so forth and on. And then as it relates to our performance audits, we're looking at efficiency, effectiveness, and economy. And those are the three E's that for government audits that we're responsible to do according to our government accountability office at the federal level. And currently in that area, we're looking at the Department of Police Accountability and San Francisco Police Department use of force, data collection practices, Mayor Office of Housing, below market rate inclusionary housing rental units program. So there are several components under um, that particular program that the Mayor's Office of Housing manages, but we're only looking at the rental portion of it at this point. And we're doing a staffing analysis or activity as it relates to scheduling pra um, practices at the Sheriff's Department. And then we have our IT and systems audits that we conduct. And what we're really looking at is the system security around all of our systems, networks, um, in the city at large. Many of the, much of that work is not published um, publicly simply because we need to protect the infrastructure of the city as it relates to our networks. And then we, of course, have our whistleblower program, our whistleblower investigations that are also conducted under my preview. And then finally, we have a robust follow-up program on all of our recommendations. We issue every six months until they are closed. Um, and so as of September 2018, we have implemented 94%, meaning our departments have implemented 94% of the 2,000-plus recommendations that were issued from July 1st, 2010 through um, July 30th, 2018. 
And so 99%, which is about 1,800 recommendations issued between July 2010 and through July, June to, um, 30th, 2016 have been implemented. So our departments really do a great job, in my mind, of making sure that they're implementing our audit recommendations and following up. So during the first six months of the fiscal year, we've publicly issued 26 audits and assessments, 11 which are mandated compliance audits, such as concession audits at the port, at the airport, our franchise fees, those types of audits. We've completed six performance audits, um, two are construction related, and nine are deliverables related to our follow-up process. So just to highlight a couple of performance audits we issued in the last six months. So we had an audit of the city's fleet management activities in July 2018, and the objective of the audit was to assess whether the city effectively manages the life cycle of its fleet, specifically acquisition, utilization, maintenance, and disposal. And so this was really important because of the city's zero emission vehicle ordinance that was effective July 2017, and it has a five-year deadline for replacement of vehicles. And what we really wanted to ensure was that we had an, a, a process to be able to manage the right sizing of our vehicles. And what we found was, as a city, we needed to do some work on how we were going to right-size our vehicles in order to comply with the ZVE. And we found that the city spent about 229000 in the fiscal year, July 1st, 2016, through June 30th, 2017, maintaining at least 200-plus old high-mileage underutilized vehicles. And then we also found that our fleet management needed to be involved in the vehicle procurement process much sooner than what it was to ensure that when we were purchasing vehicles, we were purchasing the right vehicles, but not only purchasing the right vehicles, that we were purchasing a vehicle if needed as well. And we also found that um, to maximize the benefits of the ZEV ordinance, we really needed to clarify the statute more so that, again, that we ensured that we had the proper fleet on hand and that we also understood where all of our city vehicles were parked prior to spending money to set up um, stations for energy stations for the vehicles. And so without doing so, the city could spend anywhere from 20 to um, $24 million to replace all of its 846 light duty passenger vehicles. We issued a audit on Department of Public Health Environmental Health Branch. And what we wanted to look at was how, whether the um, division has an infrastructure that promotes values and ethics and whether it recovers its cost through its fees. And the audit considered four programs, and it was food safety, vector control, healthy housing, water quality, which focuses on pools in the city, weights and measures. We surveyed employees to understand how and whether values and ethics are promoted within the branch. 
And the survey did suggest that the environmental health branch has a good ethical climate, but opportunities did exist for improvement and specifically procedures for reporting unethical behavior and training on ethical standards should be developed and made available. And so you might ask, why were we looking at the um, ethics of the organization? Many of their inspectors go out, and so they're, they're um, by themselves alone uh, working with the clients. So there's this self-reporting mechanism, if you will, with our um, employees. And we wanted to ensure that we had good client um, service, as well as that we were taking the data and bringing back that data as reported, and that they're just was no unethical practices happening in the field between our client and our staff. And so some of the things that we did recommend was to ensure that um, we found that they were behind in actually in, the expect, in their expect, um, inspections. And so we were recommending that they ensure that the required number of inspections are performed where possible and evaluate the practicality of current policies and procedures, develop formal policies and procedures to define when reinspections would be performed. And then we also asked them to work on acquiring a new database that would have more robust functionalities to help them track all of their um, inspections. And as it relates to the geo bond expenditure audit program, I spoke about that. Um, Cummings, again, is working with us to do the work on your behalf. We've been doing this about four years, and they've been doing a really great job on our behalf. And so with their assist, um, assistance, and as of today, I've stated they've done six. So we've looked at earthquake safety and emergency response, road paving and safety, street safety. We've looked at San Francisco General Hospi Hospital. We've looked at 2008 clean and safe neighborhood Parks and Bond, 2012, Clean Safe Neighborhood Parks and Bond, and then 2014, Earthquake Safety and Emergency Response. And our seventh Go Bond Expenditure Audit is on the 2014 Transportation Bond. And so we will um, begin to issue this hopefully by the beginning of February 2017. So that's it as it relates to all of the work that's going on primarily in our office. Great. Thank you. Um, just like we have uh, people assigned to bonds who are sort of specialists in those bonds, we actually also do the same um, sort of um, responsibility with the CSA and the whistleblower program. Um, and I happen to be, I don't mean to, to dominate the conversation, but I actually happen to be the, the person responsible for the CSA. Um, <laughs> And I have met in the past, but not recently, with both Tanya um, and Peg regarding the, the services they offer. Um, I, I just I am so um, happy that as a city, we have invested in this service um, in such a you know in such a um, reliable and well thought out way. Um, the uh, the funding that um, that goes to them is is protected. It's not going to be taken away. A department that doesn't like the findings can't take the take take the uh, um, the funding away. Um, 
And as you can see, a lot of the work that they do is for client departments, just like um, um, Department of Public Works. Um, and so from a governance perspective, um, I'm relying on the departments themselves to, to be clear about what they, um, um, whether they're getting what they expected to get. And I'm assuming that they uh, are not shy about, um, about your, your, your work with them at that time. Um, I also uh, highly recommend that you go onto their website, get really comfortable with it, and sign up for the, the email um, and notifications when they, when they issue a new um, audit. Um, it's a hand, handy way to keep an, um, keep an idea um, of what, what they're working on in between these meetings. Uh, the only other thing um, that uh, Peg mentioned is we also ask the CSA to do work for on behalf of us, um, and our statute um, provides a budget for that. Um, I think I don't know what the amount is, but but every bond issuance provides a small budget for for us to to direct um, work that. Um, will help us do a better job of, of our governance activities. Uh, some of the stuff, as Peg um, and Peg will go over further, is the project satisfaction surveys, and that goes back to um, do the voters feel that the bonds are delivering on what, what they expected it to, to deliver on. Um, you'll see this at the bottom of our agenda, the standardized templates, um, the expenditure audits, which Tanya just talked about. Um, uh, in, in addition to that, uh, we have recently, um, uh, Brenda and I have recently uh, started discussions around two other areas. One has to do with um, advice on how to target our meetings more closely to what our, what our mandates are and what our, um, um, the expectations and the, and the highest value that we can provide. Um, and so that you'll see something, some of that coming up. Um, and then there's something about whistleblower, which I'm sure Brenda will go over in the next um, agenda item, which is whistleblower. <laughs> Um, do, you, do you know uh, the, uh, the desire to, to do an audit of the procedures of the whistleblower program? Um, yes, we, I, okay. I, I, okay. I think whistleblower program is up for presentation yeah. in one of the items, Great. and I can address that. Okay, fantastic. Um, so given that, I don't have any other comments um, as my responsibility as the liaison to, um, to the, this program. Except to say that I, I think it's 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 amazing. I think the work you guys do is amazing. I think it's always um, feels to me as a citizen, it feels very timely the things you guys are getting involved in, which is which I think is fantastic. Some of the stuff around the housing and things like that seems to be um, really oriented around um, some of the challenges that exist in our city today. I did uh, I did have a couple of questions, um, uh, Peg. Early on, you said that at the end of the year, money is returned to to um, the fund that it came from. Is that, is that move it out of the CSA realm, or does that just, or that literally goes back to your client departments? It, <clears throat> it literally goes back to the client department. So the transaction general hospital, for example, is a good example. They are their own fund, and so they, all the money they collect, revenues, general fund support, everything is in a fund. We get two-tenths of one percent of that for our activities, which is a couple of million dollars. Um, say we only do a million and a half dollars worth of work for them, the other half million goes back to the bottom line in that fund and um, becomes subject to any of the controls that are in that fund. If we identify a project or an audit that we think we need the funding for in a future year, we have the option to request that it be carried forward into a future fiscal year, um, which we do sometimes. But um, just in general, I, I mention it so that um, people are aware that the 
the money that was allocated to us, if it doesn't get spent to us, gets, goes back to the original purpose that it was allocated from. Great. Thank you for that clarification. Um, and the other question I had, Tanya, um, was uh, about, I noticed that um, <laughs> in our forward debt calendar that the um, Seismic Safety Loan Program is going to issue bonds. This is a program from um, 1992. 1992, okay. But that's a different problem. Um, and it was originally, I think, uh, $350,000. Um, and they've only issued um, about $89,000, according to our, to our spreadsheet, and they're going for another seventy-two. Um, and so that, that, that just some, you know, uh, put a bug in your ear about that. That's always been a program that's the fact that we're using bond funds to loan, thing, loan money out is, um, is confusing, I think, um, for me. Um, so that might be something that, that is relevant. Uh, hello, uh, Vishal Trivedi. I'm an analyst in the Controller's Office of Public Finance. Uh, was there a specific uh, question? Just, just to clarify, uh, this uh, upcoming sale uh, of bonds for the Seismic Safety Loan Program um, is a $350 million program. There is about $260.7 million uh, in outstanding authority remaining from the original 1992 authorization. Uh, there was, you may recall, in uh, November of 2016, mm -hmm. Uh, a proposition that was passed by the voters allowing uh, an expansion of the eligible use for that program uh, to uh, not just uh, improve, uh, not just uh, allow for loans for uh, seismic improvement of unreinforced masonry buildings, which was the original 1992 uh, purpose, but also to allow for loans for affordable housing projects. And so uh, this will be the first issuance of bonds uh, under that uh, expanded use um, uh, of the program. Uh, and we're, we're uh, currently working on the issuance. Uh, we're expecting that uh, the bonds will be issued in mid-February, so in a few weeks. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so we're currently working on that transaction. And it'll be, uh, the, the board is uh, set tomorrow to uh, finally uh, approve the uh, legislation uh, approving that sale in an amount not to exceed $75 million. Yeah, so my, so my concern is, um, uh, is we're supposed to be governing and making sure that these bonds um, are used for the purposes. And so this is a very confusing bond, in my, in my opinion. The original loan program was a confusing bond. The fact that we're using that for a different purpose, um, I think it's, it's worth the, the kind of um, scrutiny that, that the CSA can, can bring for, for something like this, particularly as it's sort of getting started. I don't, I don't know that there's any, um, you know, urgency necessarily. I mean, I'm not saying it needs to be done tomorrow, but I, I, when I see another bond coming out for 1992 and a change of whatever, I think it's, it's always worth looking at. Right, and uh, one of the things that the uh, November 2016 um, ballot proposition did was to bring that program under the aegis of, of GOBAC, uh, as the 1992 program had predated GOBAC. So now, uh, the Mayor's Office of Housing is, is, uh, has been running that program and is also running the affordable housing component of that program. Uh, so they'll be coming before you periodically to present um, reports on the, the projects they're, they're going to be funding and the, um, the progress that they're making on that bond program. Um, so th they'll be coming to you at a later meeting to discuss that and you can uh, you can apply the scrutiny that uh, you are interested in uh, okay well I think we should do that at the next meeting yeah and, um, and because the, the, again our our the only thing we can do is stop the issuance of bonds and so right. 
to we'd like to know about it before 70 80 million dollars is over and, and for your your own um uh sort of edification maybe about the the type of program it is uh it I, my understanding is that it's very sort of uh, analogous to the uh, 2015 affordable housing bond program uh in which uh, bonds are issued for the purpose of making loans to non nonprofit uh, affordable housing developers. So that's that's the intent of this program. It's very similar to that. And um, I found that one confusing too. Just <laughs> um, uh, it might also be in our interest to have um, uh, a liaison to that program. We haven't assigned. I don't think we have one. Do, we, do you think we have one? I don't. I don't think we do. And if if any one of our new members is interested in learning more, that would be great. The, um, other housing bond programs, uh, probably the way, efficient way to approach it would be to have one liaison who deals with all the housing bonds. Right. Um, and again, just to augment what Vishal had mentioned, this program is, as you noted, years old, and the city had trouble using the money efficiently for a whole variety of reasons. The uh, lending climate, you know, the, the rate and the requirements that went with borrowing money through this vehicle, you know, couldn't compete with the commercial sector. There wasn't as much interest in doing soft story retrofits as maybe had originally been thought. Long story, but the voters did approve the the rollover of the authorization to a more a better efficient use, affordable housing. And it'll also be easier to track. Um, there'll be fewer larger sites and uh, not too many small sites. So I think this is on the, on the right track now. Great. Thank you. I was just going to say that uh, I would be interested in following up on that. Housing. Housing? Yeah. Awesome. Great. Might have been, yeah. Unless, unless someone here, one of the older members has housing, then <laughs> housing's up. <laughs> All right. Yeah, exactly. Um, any comments from members? Any questions? Please. Yes, I had a question, and I'm not sure this is exactly in your purview, but maybe sort of. Um, I noticed in, when we're looking at budgets for bond expenditures, uh, what encumbrances means. I understand there's a budget, what's been spent from that budget, but when, it, when funds come encumbered, what does that mean? It means there's a formal legal contract to spend it. So we have a $10 million contract to build a building. You encumber the whole amount, even though you're going to pay it out in smaller monthly installments. So it's, okay, good. So it's, it can't be moved into another account. It's, it's right. earmarked for something specific. Thank you. Yeah, I had two questions there related. Um, I think they're for Tanya. On page 15 of the presentation, item number four, pardon me, number seven, 2014 transportation road improvements, you're going to issue an audit uh, this month or soon? <laughs> yes. Um, can I, how would I get that? I, um, Kristen mentioned a website. Is, is Can I get it from that? <laughs> We can email it to you as well. Or you can just yes, we can put you on the distribution list. I'm in the book. You know. <laughs> um, we'll make sure that we do that. Okay, thank you. On page 11, under audits, under construction audits, there are three bullet items, and under the first bullet item, you have geo bond expenditure audits, and listed as the 2014 audit. Is that the same one as the one I just referred to? Could you please repeat that one more time for me? Uh, yeah, that was a bunch. <laughs> it was on page 11, upper uh -huh. left-hand corner, um, construction audits listed under the first 
big bullet point is 2014 transportation. Is that the same? Bang. Okay, good. And there's other stuff on there too. Is that accessible on the website? Like particularly the, the MTA capital program audit, I'd, I'd like to see that. We're not yet done with it. It's not done? Yes. I'll wait. Okay. <laughs> I, got, I got time. Okay. So we'll be more than happy to put everyone on our distribution list um, so that you will automatically receive our audits. And we'll work with Mora to get everyone's email address and make sure that happens. Thank you. I have a question for Peg. Um, page six, the linking homeless clients with benefits. Um, first of all, I, I think this is a great idea to, um, to educate and actually walk through um, these clients. And, and I noticed that um, some of the benefits that we're providing um, would not be reimbursed if the um, client is not um, registered with Medi-Cal. So in some ways, you found a way to deliver services um, and at a reduced cost when we get reimbursed by the state. Um, you, you call this a pilot, so obviously it seems to be working based on your results. Um, would this, how, how would these centers, how would these, um, how would this be continued then? So maybe they're already picking up these best practices, but you call it a pilot, so I'm right. saying how can we find a way to continue this best practice? I'd have to confirm with the departments, but it's my understanding that they intend to take the procedures and the format that was being used by the benefits navigators and install it in more shelter sites and in the access point sites that they're now using so that they can, you know, take the pilot and go into their normal operations. That's my understanding. Uh, that's good. I guess that um, would it be out of your um, purview to follow up with them to make sure that they, you know, they, they, they do this? I guess you were hired um, to do this audit, but... Um, it would, to me, it would be very beneficial if someone followed up with them to remind them or to, to, to suggest, you know, whether they would need any additional help to incorporate them into their normal operating procedures. Yeah, it's a, a good thought, and we, we will follow up with them. We have a next phase project in this same area of work, and one of our standing performance audits with these departments is enrollment rates in all of these benefit programs. So it's a measure that we track uh, quarterly, if not monthly, I think. Thank you. Comment. Great. Um, any public comment? Thank you so much. Let's call the next item. Okay, before going on to item seven, I just wanted to let you know there's a, I'm sorry it's so cold in here. There's a building-wide HVAC challenge going on this morning, so just kind of, yeah, sorry about that, okay? <laughs> <laughs> it's not just, not just you. It's not all. <laughs> okay, item seven, presentation from the city service auditor regarding the whistleblower program and possible action by the committee in response to such presentation.
Good morning. Again, Tanya Ledeju, Chief Audit Executive. And Maura, thank you for that acknowledgement. <laughs> I'm freezing. <laughs> so today's presentation is an update on our whistleblower program activities and initiatives through fiscal year 2018-19, which is quarter two. And we last presented in front of you in November 2018, at which time we reviewed fiscal year 2018-19 activities through quarter one. And in advance of today's presentation, whistleblower program staff supported regular meetings with our um, CGOBAC liaison. Our most recent meeting was with members Brenda Kiwi, McNulty, and Larry Bush on January 24th. So for the benefit of new committee mem members, the first few slides will provide an overview of the whistleblower program. According to California Government Code Section 53087.6, it empowers a city and county auditor controller to maintain a whistleblower program to receive information regarding allegations of fraud, waste, and abuse by local government employees. And the San Francisco Campaign and Governmental Conduct Code, Article 4, directs the controller as city service auditor to administer a whistleblower program and investigate whistleblower complaints. And San Francisco Charter Appendix F states that the controller shall have timely access to all records and documents with some exceptions that the controller deems necessary to complete the inquiries and reviews under Appendix F. This section also makes confidential all drafts, notes, preliminary reports of controller benchmark studies, audits, investigations, and other reports with some exceptions. Note that campaign governmental conduct code was amended in December 2018, and these changes have gone into effect in 2019. And at the next presentation by the whistleblower program, we'll discuss how we are addressing new mandates on the program and if the changes are impacting our workload and resourcing. So the previously mentioned state and city laws make the controller responsible for a broad variety of allegations. Specifically, we are tasked with receiving and investigating the misuse of city funds, improper activities by city employees as well as officers, deficiencies in the quality and the delivery of government services, wasteful and inefficient government practices, resolving complaints and alleging and allegations as well. And so the whistleblower program, we don't investigate every complaint we receive. So the city laws mandate that the program refer these types of complaints. Another city department is required by federal, state, or local law to adjudicate, may be resolved through a grievance mechanism established by bargaining unit or contract, involve violations of criminal law, are subject to an existing investigation, alleged violations of governmental ethic laws. Good morning, committee members. My name is Steve Flaherty. I'm a principal auditor and investigator with the Controller's Office, and I oversee the whistleblower program. I'll be talking today about some of our complaint activity to date for fiscal year 1819. I'll apologize if the numbers on the screen don't reflect the numbers in your packet. I inadvertently send Mora a, uh, a, a copy of the packet with a, a typo on it. Yeah, it's right on there. Um, 
so just to talk about where we are, so our fiscal year began on July 1st. We had 82 open complaints going into the fiscal year. So far this fiscal year, we've received 221 complaints and closed 218 of them. At the close of the calendar year and halfway through this fiscal year, we had 85 open complaints. Just putting that into context with the next slide about how many complaints we've had going back the uh, few fiscal years. Um, complaint volume has been rising and we receive more reports each year since fiscal year 2012-13. A lot of people want to know what's behind the increase in the number of complaints we received. It, it, I don't think it can be attributed to one factor. There are several factors I believe that can influence how many complaints we're receiving. Um, the outreach performed by the whistleblower program is potentially one of those factors that may drive our complaint workload. Um, to continue to manage the, the sustained high number of complaints that we receive, the program has a multidisciplinary team in place, and collectively we possess the experience and expertise necessary to address the diverse range of allegations that we receive. The whistleblower program understands that it's important for complainants to feel that their concerns are important and seriously considered, and we make every effort to complete investigations in a timely manner. If complaints are not resolved in a timely manner, we realize that complainants may conclude that their allegations are not being taken seriously. And resolving incident reports consistently and timely, we believe improves trust in the whistleblower program. It's the goal of the whistleblower program to close 80% of our complaints within 90 days of their receipt. In quarter two, we closed 85 of the 104 complaints that we closed, or 82% overall, in 90 days or less. Um, going into quarter three, at the conclusion of quarter two, we had 85 complaints open on December 31st, 2018. 53% um, of these complaints were open less than 90 days. Um, there are several factors that can influence the length of a whistleblower program investigation beyond 90 days. These factors include the number of allegations in a complaint, the number of witnesses that we need to interview as part of our investigation, um, and the need to coordinate investigative efforts among multiple city departments as well as the availability of evidence and from multiple sources. Slide number nine, uh, we have a chart going over the disposition of closed complaints going back uh, a few previous fiscal years. And so we'll be talking about some of the trends in the closed complaints that we're noticing. We're noticing a trend of that a greater percentage of the complaints that we're receiving are under the jurisdiction of another city department. Uh, Tanya previously mentioned there are certain complaints that we have to refer to other departments because federal, state, or local law grants those departments authorities over the matter. Um, that being said, I think one of the independent variables in the whistleblower program is we don't control who submits a complaint and we don't control what they submit a complaint about. Um, I will say that there is benefit to the whistleblower program receiving these complaints as the city's central point for report intake. It ensures that the controller's office is aware of systemic issues and risk trends uh, throughout city government and allows us to quickly get those complaints to the departments with jurisdiction over them, but can also inform our audit risk as we develop our audit plan throughout a year. Um, and so just talking about some of the initiatives that we do to um, spread awareness of the whistleblower program and balance the whistleblower program's mandate for confidentiality with the public's uh, request or right for transparency on our operations. Uh, we issue quarterly reports that detail uh, the operations of the whistleblower program. We issued our quarter one report for fiscal year 1819 in December 
and our quarter two report draft is in progress and we expect it to be issued next month in February. Uh, the whistleblower program produces fraud bulletins making city employees and members of the public aware of uh, costly occupational fraud schemes that they may encounter while working or interacting with uh, members of uh, employees of the city and county of San Francisco. We've issued two bulletins to date. The first bulletin uh, was issued on September and it was on construction materials fraud. And um, we issued a second bulletin in December on supply chain fraud. And our third bulletin is in progress right now. And I expect to have that issued next month as well. Uh, we conduct webinars in order to spread knowledge of investigative and fraud hotline best practices with other jurisdictions across North America. And we've had one fraud uh, hotline webinar so far this year. It was on lessons learned from a fraud investigation and that was presented by uh, a member of the UC system. And we have a second webinar scheduled for next month. It's a little bit different than the previous webinars that we've issued in the fact that it'll be a panel made up of fraud hotline managers from the city of Austin, Texas, the city of San Diego, and Multnomah County, Oregon. We're gonna try and make it more interactive than previous webinars um, in the sense that opening up to the audience and allowing for real-time questioning and answering. Um, we've also been very active on at the uh, Professional Association Conference Circuit. The whistleblower program has given presentations at uh, the following conferences, the Western Intergovernmental Audit Forum, which is made up of auditors uh, from the western half of the United States at the federal, state, and local level. Uh, we presented in front of the California counties, accounting and reporting managers and audit managers on fraud hotline des design, performance, and measurement. And we presented in front of the Association of Local Government Auditors um, last calendar year on the same topic, as well as participating on a fraud hotline panel. Thank you. Brenda? Uh, Steve, um, I, I'm the liaison, and we, we met um, on two occasions in November and in January. But before I render a summary of, of my report, um, Steve, would, would you be so kind as to share with the rest of the GOBOC members the new development um, that will impact um, your work in the, in the whistleblower program. Sure, I'll do my best to summarize it. Um, so there were some changes made to the Campaign and Governmental Conduct Code that Tanya referenced earlier in her presentation. It's gonna place, uh, it's gonna expand whistleblower protections and place new requirements upon the controller's office. And um, just to kind of summarize what some of those requirements are. So the controller's office in collaboration with the Ethics Commission will be responsible for preparing materials to publicize and promote whistleblower protections as part of each department's new hire training programs. Currently, the whistleblower program, we have a video that we've asked departments to include in their new employee orientation programs. It's focused mainly on filing a complaint with the whistleblower program and things that are appropriate for the whistleblower program to investigate. So the, the difference between that and this is that the new materials that we will be preparing will focus on the protection aspect of whistleblowers as well, more heavily emphasized. Uh, the controller's office will also collaborate with the Ethics Commission and Department of Human Resources to prepare materials to publicize and promote supervisors' responsibilities to assist uh, people in filing retaliation complaints. And we'll also be required to collaborate with the Ethics Commission and Human Resources to prepare annual web-based trainings for supervisors regarding their responsibilities to assist people with filing those retaliation complaints. Um, one of the other responsibilities placed on the controller's office is that the controller will be tasked with preparing and each city department shall post a notice of a, a whistleblower protections um, that their department contractors have. So the protections were expanded to also include department contractors, not just department employees. 
And so we'll be preparing some materials that departments can issue to make sure that their contractors are aware of the protections for them. And as, as Tanya said, we'll probably cover those initiatives and any impacts on our operations more in our next presentation to GOBAC. Good, thank you. Um, I, um, I am the liaison for this program and had been for the past um, four years. Um, what I normally do is to uh, meet up with the staff. Um, Steve, sometimes Tanya would join us. And um, I'm guided when I go into these meetings with you know, two main objectives. One is to, um, to ask if there have been any changes you know, um, that might have impacted the work externally, internally. And secondly, um, my other objective is to um, interact, interview staff. Um, generally, this is um, so that I can get a sense of um, whether there have been any changes and usually go through material statistics pretty much like the, pro, the slide that you've seen as a way to um, um, to understand whether, looking at the statistics, whether the trend is the same, and whether we can try and get you know some um, reasoning to some of the numbers. Um, in these two past meetings, Larry Bush had joined, and I just wanted to share with the rest of the members. Um, once a um, an appointment has been made with staff. Um, I generally would then ask um, Maura um, to extend that invitation to the rest of the members. So to, that, so to some extent, if you are interested in the program or you want to sit in, you're, you're, you're welcome to. So this is something that's just more of an operational. But we need a, a Ken, can you explain a quorum? Yes. To our new members? Yes. yes. Some people can come, but not everybody. <laughs> Much as you might want to. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, I can hear you. I don't think I don't think you're on mic. Hello, that sounds better. There you go. <laughs> so it's kind of a complicated um, area, and this body has kind of we've developed over the years rather arcane rules for quorum requirements. <laughs> but the kind of the overriding principle is that. All public bodies have to conduct public meetings or public business at a public meeting, which has to be agendized and noticed so that members of the public can show up, with some exceptions. And a public meeting occurs when a quorum of that body gets together to discuss business, the public business. And that can happen in a variety of ways. It can happen if five of you are together in one place at one time, discussing these matters. It can happen, what we call seriatim meetings, where one person discusses the matter with another member of the committee who then discusses it with a third, and then a fourth, and then a fifth. For the purposes of the Sunshine Act and the Brown Act, that's a public meeting. So um, that's a general principle. In order to avoid quorum problems, we've devised the liaison system where two members of this body meet with the one now? Yeah, the one is officially assigned. That's right. Other, yeah. That's right. Thank you for the reminder. We've gone over iterations before. 
one member of this body meets with each of the bond programs and with the city services auditor as well as with the whistleblower. I don't think that's the same person, but I could be wrong about that. And then that person reports back to the body. And that way we don't have any quorum requirements or any other issues. If there's a specific matter that's interesting, you know, as Kristen was, was saying, we can have a sign-up. As long as we don't have a quorum, it's not a problem. If we have a quorum, then Maura will let me know. Our office will get involved, and we'll figure out a way to make it work. So we don't have to worry about that now. Was that helpful? Yeah, I think so. Any questions about quorum? It com comes up more often than you'd expect. I just want to um, complete my comments. Um, I met with Steve. Uh, we went through these statistics and um, discussed, um, you know, whether there are any trends. Um, and I, I really want to share that my experience with interacting with staff on this program um, had always been very positive. I think that the statistics are... Um, um, reflect that um, there is analysis, comment, and all my questions, the, my questions and Larry Bush had an interest in this and his questions have always been answered um, to our satisfaction. And um, I am confident that the process that we have laid out in investigations is sound and we have competent staff carrying out those steps. Uh, the, other, um, the other element that I wanted to bring up for discussion with my fellow members is that um, ever since this program had been started, um, we have not taken a second look to look to review whether the actual program process, steps, procedures, um, should be reviewed. So I am making a formal request to, um, to Tanya to, to engage an external consultant to conduct a thorough review of this program from procedure to training so that we can feel confident that um, we haven't missed anything. So I think that when we look at a program, first of all, it's the actual laid out manual, the structure, and the other part would be the actual human resources, the staff members carrying out that structural layout, if you will. So this is, we haven't done that in the past, so I wanted to use this opportunity to um, share this recommendation to my fellow members and to see if you have any questions, objections, agreement. I think um, one of the reasons why I think this is a brilliant thing to do um, is that we don't have the authority to actually see the actual complaint itself. Well, I think one person, one person does, right? But for the rest of us, we, we can't go in and say, well, what did that person say? And then what did you do? Like, you know, and then bring some kind of subjective decision on whether that was done or not. What we have the ability, to, what, what all of us to do, except for, except for our liaison, is to trust that the, that, the, that the processes, if the processes are right and they're being followed, then, then the, you know, the, the outcome hopefully will, will end up being um, what's appropriate for this program. Um, and so I think, I think that that's, 
without bringing in an auditor to look at what actually happened, which we can't do. Um, looking at that's the best that's the best um, uh, that we can do. And I don't think we've done anything like this in, in all of my time at Gobak, and it's many years. No, I don't think so. Yeah. So I think that it is timely that um, this governing body requests a you know um, an external party to really take a line by line review of exactly what we're doing, and just. Um, just for the record, I wanted to say that um, the whistleblower staff um, annually and periodically, they do update their policies and procedures when they have to react to certain changes, for example, in state law and some other you know, mandated um, uh, practices that they have to comply with. So I'm... I think that this is strictly on a um, operational side, to, and I think that if we conduct this study, it would make the whole committee feel a lot more comfortable um, that we, we can say that we are reviewing our procedures on um, line by line, thoroughly, 100%, once every so often. I, I think the other point is it, um, the bond funds that we oversee there's other groups that oversee them. For the, so the, for the fire department, there's the, they have their own commissions that oversee these funds. Um, this, the whistleblower program, I believe we're the only ones that oversee that program. And obviously there's a lot of sensitivity to the, to the, um, to the, um, the purposes of that program. Um, and so I think that in a, we, we might be covered in other areas, but this is, this is us, I mean, for whistleblower. I mean, this is, this is our, our responsibility. And I just wanted to just share with my fellow um, members is that um, our oversight in the whistleblower program, um, the only thing we can do is actually make sure to oversee that the program itself and the people carrying out the program are doing the steps that are required of the program. So process in this program I think it's extremely important because the process and the people carrying out our process are the only areas we can oversee. So, so I had a question. In terms of next steps on this, is there a formal motion being made? Um, and what would that motion be in terms of uh, getting a proposal on what this would look like? Um, Peg, do we need to vote on this? Or this is a request from the committee to conduct this special study? I don't think so. I mean, we've discussed it in our liaison meeting, and I think the request is well understood by us. So um, we'll take it as part of our work plan. I don't think you need a formal vote. I think we would like to see the scope before it's, before it's finalized. Yes, I'd, li I'd like to see the scope. But this is going to cost money to bring in an outside consultant. And while I, of course, would yield to your expertise and longevity with as the liaison, <laughs> My intent I go up when we start bringing outside consultants to tell the city how to do its job when when you did say that you were very pleased with the program so I just would like to know a little bit more about it and, and what the cost is what the staff if it's appropriate for them to comment on it perhaps it isn't but uh... so if I may um, the request is a valid request for many reasons in order to cite generally accepted government auditing pr principles. We internally have a triennial peer review. One of the things that, 
And what happens in that um, triennial peer review is from our association of local government auditors, a group of individuals who are highly, um, have high expertise in the field of auditing actually comes in and goes through a systematic process to determine that we are following the requirements as outlined um, by our standards. And we have successfully, under my leadership, all three have passed them. One of the things that I have been working hard to do is to establish a peer review process for whistleblower programs. And I have tried to work with the Institute of Internal Auditors, as well as our GAO at the federal level to institute this. And we have not been successful as of yet, and I continue to work on it because I'm on two respective boards as it relates to both of those entities, because I do believe it is very important, you know, outside of just the board requesting, but to ensure that we're able to say, yes, we're following standards, we have processes, and currently we do follow best practices that we benchmark against other jurisdictions. We have the association um, fraud organization that we look at standards as well. There certainly are not a set of standards just for whistleblower programs that are promulgated by the GAO, GAO at the federal level or by the Institute of Internal Auditors, which really govern, um, specifically highly governs private industry, but there is the arm to um, public sector as well. So just to provide you, Ms. Post, with assurance that the request is really valid and it is important to me as well because I do want not, I want not only you as a board but our constituents to know that yes, we are running a solid program. I'm very confident in the program that we're running and I am confident that when we go through the review, we will do well in that review. And if there are suggestions, we're more than happy to take them because we do believe in doing an excellent job. And our staff are quite capable, and I'm very proud of the staff that work with me and under my leadership. So um, we will look at obtaining a consultant, working collectively with you in that process and the cost of that um, consultant, as well as scoping out that area. Thank you. Uh, Tanya, um, I, I, I will trust it to your good judgment, um, but I just wanted to um, clarify that the objective of this is going to be, is we're not seeking an audit of your work. What we're really seeking is to have the consultant look at our existing written processes, the manuals, that part, because um, to me, in 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 overseeing this, we're overseeing a process. So I, we're, we're not auditing the work, but we wanted to make sure that the rule book that we have is something that is up to date, that's, you know, that's robust, that's thorough, and may, you know, may, may include some other um, avenues that, that outside factors have created. So that's really the plan, and, and I'm sure that um, Kristen, the chair, and whoever is going to um, fill the liaison role would be in conversations with you regarding the scope, the selection, and would have to 
approve the actual appointment. Certainly. Um, Great. Yeah. Certainly. We're um, in alignment with you and fully understand what you're requesting. Those are all my comments, and um, please. Any other comment? Public comment. Uh, any public comment? <laughs> uh, seeing none. Yes, uh, good morning, committee members. I'm Dr. Derek Kerr, a whistleblower. I need to use this machine here to project a slide. Okay, give me a minute. Ooh. Oh, good. So earlier during the whistleblower program presentation, you were shown this table, how the number of complaints um, have increased since 2012. What you weren't shown is the the 10-year picture. Right now, at 466, we're right back to where we were in 2009. There was a huge dip here in the middle. And what this shows is that the whistleblower program is recovering in terms of public access. <clears throat> the whistleblower program also monitors the outcomes of whistleblower retaliation complaints that go to the Ethics Commission. Um, and in their reports, you can see year after year that whistleblower retaliation complaints, zero, have been sustained by the Ethics Commission. The Ethics Commission first reported on whistleblower retaliation investigations in 1995. And in these 24 years, Ethics has never substantiated a single whistleblower retaliation claim. That program is functionally inert when it comes to protecting whistleblowers. So we heard earlier uh, about all of the wonderful um, performance uh, audits that the uh, city services auditor does. I think GoBox should consider a performance audit for the Ethics Commission to find out why, with over 100 complaints over the years, they've never substantiated one. And that's very rare to have no retaliation. And if you look at the courts, we have to sue the city to get validated. And the city is paying millions of dollars on uh, whistleblower retaliation claims but Ethics Commission doesn't sustain any of them. So it's whistleblower retaliation complaints are dead on arrival at the Ethics Commission. Please look into it. Thank you. Thank you. Any other public comment? Seeing none, can we call the next item? Item eight, opportunity for committee members to comment on or act on any matters within the committee's jurisdiction. Three, A. Project satisfaction surveys, B, standardized templates, C, expenditure audits. Do you want to say something first, Ms. Chu, or, okay. Um, so Peg Stevenson again for the controller's office. These are items where we've been working uh, with and for you on the GoBox behalf. Um, projects that you wanted to do to augment your review of bond programs. 
Uh, first, project satisfaction surveys, and uh, there's a memo in the back um, updating us on it, and I wanted to introduce Catherine Amalev from my staff um, who has been managing this project, and if there are any technical questions about it, she'll be able to answer them better than I, but she's done a great job uh, seeing the project satisfaction survey through. Um, our contractor is finished with their uh, site collections. Uh, they've administered all the surveys at the two sites that we have under study, so that's the Bartlett Streetscape and Kimball Playground. And um, there's a summary on Catherine's memo showing you the results of our having collected those surveys, and then we're doing follow-up qualitative surveys with a sample of the people who agreed to do that. Uh, analysis is underway now, and um, I think we'll have a full report ready for you at your March meeting. Um, so any questions on, on the satisfaction surveys? Thanks, Catherine for all your good work. <laughs> I would like to add that the qualitative surveys have been complete um, as of December 20th, and CCNG is currently undergoing data coding, and they'll have their full analysis, like Peg had mentioned, in the March meeting. So um, just to give you guys some background, I think I said earlier that um, uh, this, is, this is another way that we're thinking about using to understand whether the voters feel like um, that the the expectations that they had for the for the bond are being met. Um, this is a trial. We're trying it to see how valuable it is and how how it could um, help inform what we're doing. Um, so hopefully, when we look at the report, we'll we'll look at it with a critical eye to to, to understanding how it fits in with um, what our regular work is. Just one more bit of background, I guess. So, the city has a lot of different types of public satisfaction surveys including a broad citywide one that my office conducts, but they're usually not at the level of detail that would give you public uh, feedback about something as specific as a bond project or knowledge of a bond program. So these are being done through intercept surveys at two sites, and they're very specific to voters, to visitors' understanding of the improvement that was done at that site and its linkage to the city bond program. Okay, thanks. <clears throat> Standardized templates. Um, so this is a subject that we've um, been talking about with uh, GoBak for some time. There's a standard spreadsheet which you will always see in the back of your packet giving status of the macro financials of the bond. How much um, is the total of the bond program? How much has been appropriated? How much has been expended? Again, the macro financials, that will always be there. Each bond program will give a presentation of the type that you saw the health uh, bond program folks give today, where they'll summarize progress, milestones, and um, we've gone back and forth with different summaries that ha the committee has looked at in those specific presentations. There's been a varying level of detail, and some of the liaisons have experienced, um, it's been confusing. And the discussion was, shouldn't we try and come to a more standard template that would allow the financial tables and the milestone tables be in essentially similar formats for each bond program, if that would help your understanding of it? So that's the sort of nugget of the idea. The Department of Public Works is in agreement about the, that nugget of idea. 
They do the financial reporting for a lot of the bond programs since they manage them, even if the client is another department. We've been in conversation with the uh, uh, financial managers at Public Works about what a refreshed standard bond program template would look like. And then finally, one other fact to know, again, I think it's been mentioned, a lot of these programs also report to at least one other oversight body, most often a commission that governs that activity. So we want to use the reporting that has been asked for by the commissions to feed standard reporting that you would look at as well. So that's background. Um, we would be glad to work with a member of GOBOC to talk about uh, different options for formatting a standard report. When you're able to make that kind of appointment, now that you have new members and are doing that kind of organization, I have hours available in my staff to work with you on it. So that's the current status, and I leave it up to you to decide if you're going to start that now, this quarter, or want to do it starting next fiscal quarter. Um, it's up to you. That's where I am. I, um, I would recommend that we ask Peg if we can do it next quarter. Not that I like kicking the can down the road, um, but we've had so much sort of turnover, and I, I'd love to get everyone to have a little bit more experience with the meetings and, and, and what information we get. Does anybody? Okay. So if you could use that guidance. That's fine. Between now and your next meeting, we'll pull together some of the different templates that have been used, so we'll have it all ready to work with you. Item C, expenditures audits. Tanya, do you want to comment further on that? This was uh, the last page of um, the CSA report. So. And finally, under eight, two other matters, public finance, upcoming issues. Good morning again. Vishal Trivedi, financial analyst in the uh, Controller's Office of Public Finance. Uh, I'll just briefly go over our anticipated forward debt calendar for geo bonds. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, the m most... Uh, um, the, the closest next sale will be the uh, issuance of bonds for the Seismic Safety Loan Program. Actually, it's now uh, called the PASS Program. Uh, I believe that's the uh, Preservation of Affordable Housing and Seismic Safety. Um, and uh, like I mentioned, the board is uh, currently in the process of, of authorizing that uh, legislative approval, uh, and we're anticipating to sell next month. Uh, uh, the next sale of public health bonds was also discussed. Uh, I'm c communicating with uh, the project managers for, for that bond program, and uh, we'll, we'll continue to, to be in contact, but uh, currently, currently they're expecting a late summer uh, issuance for their next sale. We'll continue to review the cash flows and expenditures uh, to determine when the sale will be appropriate uh, for, for that final tranche of $127 million approximately. Uh, for uh, the next two items, those are both, we're working with the uh, San Francisco port. Um, the last $3.1 million from the 2012 Clean and Safe Neighborhood Parks uh, Program is, uh, that's all um, funds that are allocated for the uh, waterfront parks uh, portion of that program. That's uh, managed by the port. Uh, and the, we're currently evaluating whether to combine that with the first issuance of the seawall 
bonds, uh, as you might be familiar, uh, in November, Proposition A was passed by the, the voters, authorizing a $425 million geo bond program for uh, improvements to the seawall along the Embarcadero. And uh, we're also reviewing their cash flow needs. Uh, but initially, it's looking like, based on their uh, uh, planned uh, planning and design needs uh, for, for that program, they, they'll need about uh, $30 million uh, toward the beginning of summer, near the end of the fiscal year. Uh, so those are the ones that we currently see um, uh, on the table, and, and we'll continue to, to reach out to our bond programs to see what their needs are. Thank you. Mara, can you make sure that this is updated with all the bonds that have been approved by the voters? Yes. Because it stops in 2016. Sorry? My version stops in 2016. I think we've had bonds approved since then. Unless I didn't, unless I'm missing a page. Awesome. Any, any questions, comments? I see no public, so I just see no public comment. I think we'll be adjourned. Thank you for your time today. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs>